What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Mary Jane Experience Podcast. I am Casey Jones, your host with a lot of it, but definitely not the mostest. So this is going to be part two of our interview with Dr. Andrew concerning cannabis and pregnancy. If you didn't listen to last week's podcast, stop what you're doing right now. Hit pause, go back to last week's episode, otherwise you will be lost this one is very dense. We are talking about the effects of cannabis, not only on pregnancy, but uh, prenatal conditions, as well as nursing mothers. There's a lot of information here, a lot of good information, we should say. Go back, listen to that podcast first, then come back. You can listen to part two. It is all good, great information that maybe you know doesn't align necessarily with a lot of our wants and beliefs, with cannabis, but it is good to know. It's good to put real information out there. So if you didn't listen to week one, stop, go back, then listen to week two. If you did listen to last week's podcast, welcome back. Here we are, part two with Dr. Andrew concerning pregnancy and cannabis from the Mary Jane Experience. Welcome to the Mary Jane Experience, unbiased, unabridged, and most of all, informative. From our mountaintop view here in Colorado, here's how we see the cannabis industry today. Let's look at weed. The CBD is a really complicated question. Um, Anybody who tells you that they know how CBD works is either... Uh, misinformed or or lying (laughs) we I can tell you as somebody who spends all day every day uh, reading about cannabinoids and working with cannabinoids that even those of us who are on the the cutting edge of that research we really cannot tell you at a pharmacological level how CBD works Oh, this it it like hurts and is justifying all at the same time because we have said, you know, CBD is probably seventy five percent bullshit out there in the world right now. But it's a good start because it leads towards normalization of the cannabis plant. So it's got its good and its bad, like everything yin yang, dark and light. But wow, to hear that I mean- from an actual scientist that if anybody tells you they know how CBD acts, they are either lying or they are misinformed, puts the entire CBD market on complete alert, or should. He's not saying that it doesn't work. He's saying people don't know how it works. So it's not like, oh, if cannabis, if CBD helps you with your anxiety and you, you like have learned that about your body, then this is not a place that anybody's saying that it doesn't work it's just saying that we have a lot farther to go as far as knowing what really is going on with cbd and so if you are compromised (laughs) maybe that's not the right word but if you're pregnant it's not a good idea you know it's just we just don't know enough if you're healthy and you're not pregnant and you want to use it for your anxiety fucking do it yeah does yeah, not and, matter. And honestly, even if it's a placebo effect, great. Like, if it works for you, it works for you. The point is, though, that if anybody tells you they know 
how CBD works, they're probably selling you some fucking snake oil. And which, again, like in the right certain settings and everything, it probably can't hurt and it's not that big of a deal. But we're just saying like that is that is an important take home from this particular interview is that we still have so much more we need to discover before any claims can really truly be made. And that is important to remember. It's always important to just keep that in the back of your mind. We're not saying don't do it. We're just saying, remember, we got a lot, long way to go. It's promiscuous, just like Casey Jones. <laughs> Whoa, I'm a married man now. <laughs> Here, that, that's so, a ring. <laughs> another thing, and this came up in our interview with Dr. Michelle Ross, is just interactions with other medications that you might be on. And he commented on that as well. If you are on any other medications, which uh, something like 60% of American citizens are taking at least one prescription drug, um, CBD, excuse me, CBD alters the enzyme that is used to digest those drugs. So all drugs go into your body and then at some point they're broken down by an enzyme in your blood. And a lot of people know, for instance, about the interaction between nicotine and birth control. Nicotine increases the enzyme that metabolizes birth control. And what that means is that you digest the birth control faster and it's out of your system faster. And this is why when you're prescribed birth control, you're usually told not to smoke because it makes the birth control less effective. So this same kind of a relationship happens with CBD at what are called the cytochrome P450 enzymes, which happen to be an extremely important class of enzymes that are responsible for digesting upwards of 80% of currently available pharmaceuticals which means if you're on a pharmaceutical drug, there's a very good chance that taking CBD will interfere with how your body processes that drug. And this has been seen uh, in a number of uh, clinical examples with uh, epileptic medications and with anti-anxiety medications where it efficacy. And it can even change things like Uh, the anesthesia that you would be put under if you were to have a surgery. So, so CBD is, it's a really interesting and it potentially has some really great uses like treating epilepsy addiction. Uh, I think it's a fascinating uh, prospect, but it is also not necessarily something that I would recommend taking without purpose and without uh, research. So again, he backs up what we were talking about there. Signs. There are some good things that have been identified with CBD, but the entirety of its effect on the system is unknown, which is why he would recommend pregnant women, maybe not. Healthy young adults, give it a shot. If it works for you, go for it. But not if you're taking medications. But not if you're taking medications. Because it could interfere. Mm -hmm. And then another interesting point that he brings up next is actually how CBD is stored. So people are buying shitty CBD from gas stations and things like that. You might be interested in what Andrew has to say about CBD's shelf life. We, we use CBD in the lab freezer that's at minus 80 Celsius. And 
not exposed to light. So it's like wrapped in foil and everything. And we still see that it degrades by about 10% per year, uh, which means the stuff you're seeing at the gas station that's sitting at, you know, room temperature or hot summer temperatures and is constantly exposed to light, there's a very good chance that there's actually no CBD in there at all. It's not going to take all the CBD out, but the idea here is that if you're buying CBD off the shelves, maybe buy CBD from a place that does keep it refrigerated at the very least. And if you go to a gas station and see in the window a bottle of tincture that is in a clear bottle, unrefrigerated and exposed to sunlight, that's a really great clue that maybe this isn't a product that you should spend your money on. Exactly. And considering how expensive a lot of this stuff is, buy it right, mate. I got to give another shout out here to Mark Haha because whenever we find their product, it is in a fridge in a dispensary because it is being treated like a medical product. So keep your eyes out for the signs. Know before you buy. Exactly. So all of this sort of seemingly not very fun information about cannabis to all of our cannabis lovers that make up our entire following. Mostly. I had to ask (laughs) if there are any pharmaceutical drugs that you might be prescribed that cannabis would actually be a safer alternative to. For treating pain, uh, there's a lot of evidence that uh, cannabis is a, a much safer medication. And it depends on what kind of pain. Um, you know, there's a lot of different sources of pain and a very large percentage of the world, especially in the United States and other Western nations, uh, suffers from chronic pain, but those come from a lot of different sources. And so it's a complex answer, but, um, most pain medications carry uh, a high risk of addiction, as we all know from this you know, opioid epidemic that has been uh, ravaging the United States for the past decade or more. Um, so if cannabis can treat your pain, I think it's absolutely a better alternative. Um, I would say the same for uh, chronic anxiety or generalized anxiety disorder. A lot of the drugs that people get prescribed for those, like benzodiazepines, which includes Xanax and Valium, um, clonazepam, things like that. Uh, Those are highly addictive. The withdrawal symptoms are not only unpleasant, but they're potentially life-threatening. And if you can stay away from those and use small amounts of cannabis in place of it, I think that's a great, uh, great application for it. But I also see cannabis often being touted as this sort of wonder drug that can do everything from help you with your generalized anxiety to curing your grandma's Alzheimer's and, you know, your friend's uh, breast cancer. And while there's a lot of interesting research being done in a lot of those domains, uh, it's, I think it's irresponsible to recommend something that I see frequently to recommend that somebody stop their medication for say cancer and start taking uh, ISO or uh, hash oils instead. 
I, I see that far too frequently and it uh, is, is really upsetting because while it potentially is effective, it's certainly not as effective as what those people are being treated with and uh, you're playing with people's lives there. Way to save face for all the cannabis enthusiasts out there in the last minute. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. But in regards to pain, um, you know, using cannabis over an opioid or a potentially addictive substance obviously would be ideal. Um, so yeah, there are some use cases again for cannabis, specifically when it concerns pregnant mothers, maybe not, but there's, there's ways in which cannabis does supersede the pharmaceutical industry. And a lot of that is probably associated more with pain and anxiety. So there yeah. is a lot of potential. True. Cannabis might very well treat a whole host of, of terrible diseases. It's just that it's not there yet with the research, which is a serious disservice that our government has done to us by making it illegal and so that nobody can do any real research. But until we have that research, it's probably best not to go off your scientifically proven drug onto cannabis unless you know it's your body and your prerogative but this is you know the advice of a professional which we are not andrew is <laughs> i'm very guilty of being over optimistic about the potentials of cannabis but we have to wait for the research to be there again call your senator congressman tell them we want testing Shit. Even if we could have testing before legalization, I think that would be a step in the right direction. Research? Or, yeah. What did I say? Well, testing is very good, and we should test all of the cannabis oh, products. Oh, well, testing and research. Yeah. Sorry. My bad. The old... Anyway. Um, but we've seen this before, and it was interesting to hear Andrew bring that up with things like red wine. Right. It's hard to do, and it's hard, especially as somebody who's not in the world of science, it's hard to do that kind of digging. Uh, I, you know, a great example is you probably remember maybe 10 years ago, maybe a little bit less, there was this huge uh, obsession with resveratrol, which was the, the compound that's found in red wine. And the, what, the story behind it is that some researchers isolated this compound that is indeed found in red wine. And when they put it on cells in a Petri dish or they put it on, you know, brain slices in a lab, they found that it's a really potent antioxidant. And so what happened really quickly as soon as that paper got published was that the pop media picked it up and said, red wine is a great antioxidant and it can stave off Alzheimer's because antioxidants can do that. But you're making a lot of leaps to get to that point. And so there is indeed research that says that cannabinoids and THC and CBD can be helpful in fighting tumors. That's true. The, the data are not false. However, those things have been shown with cancer cells in a Petri dish being exposed to THC. 
And then a media source sees that and runs with it and says, cannabis cures cancer. Definitely. I mean, we uh, obviously see that a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Although I'm not sure I'm willing to give up on the idea that red wine is good for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, if it makes you happy, it's good for you. So uh, I'll, I'll accept that. That's great. Yeah, well, that's one of the health benefits of cannabis too, right? Laughter. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, and on that note, it's time again, kids. Got to keep the lights on here at the Mary Jane Experience podcast. Here is Miss Strawberry Sequoia with a word from one of our favorite brands out there doing great stuff. Today's episode is brought to you by Tokativity, the global cannabis community for women. Tokativity hosts experiential events that focus on female empowerment and cannabis normalization through creative, social, political, and feminist forward activities in the local chapters across the globe. Their nonprofit social club works to empower women at the root level by creating social, interactive, and creative environments with a focus on plant-based medicine for women to explore personal and professional growth in a space away from the male gaze. Join the movement today at tokativity.com slash connect. And we're back. Here is the rest of our conversation with Dr. Andrew about cannabis and pregnancy. So we've all probably heard about the red wine being healthy, and it's clearly sort of the same thing going on with a lot of cannabinoids right now. We don't know exactly which ones are right or wrong, but what's seen in a lab can sometimes be blown up by media and, you know, happens. And people always want an excuse to be bad. Like if they could be like, oh, a doctor said red wine's good for me, I'm going to drink a bunch, then like... Yeah, I, I mean, he did I admit, I told him, I was like, look, I mean, I'm just not willing to give up on the idea that red wine is good for me. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, if it makes you happy, there you then go. it's good for you. In which I responded, cannabis makes a lot of people happy. And so, of course, and he's not anti-cannabis at all. No, he's, not at all. He's just saying, you know, don't get high while you're pregnant. It's, it's not about any other time. And, um, you know, if cannabis makes you happy, I think that is a really great benefit. Yeah. And also moderation and moderation. We always say this. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to bring it back, though, back around to pregnancy, because that is the point of this episode. With the question of pre-pregnancy or even time of conceiving, but you usually don't know exactly when that is. Is it possible to have effects that early? Should you be stopping using cannabis before you even conceive? Well, um, a couple things there. One is that a lot of the effects that have been seen in these large-scale human studies um, are first trimester effects. And so in a lot of cases, these are women who were consuming during the first trimester uh, either because they didn't know that they were pregnant or 
they only decided or learned that cannabis during pregnancy was a, a bad choice later into their pregnancy and then they stopped. However, we still see really significant effects with that first trimester use. So because most people do not know they're pregnant at the very moment of conception, I think if you're trying to get pregnant, it's probably a good idea to not be smoking. Uh, also, cannabinoids stay in your system for quite a long time. They're what we call lipophilic, which means fat loving. It's one of the reasons that they transfer so well through breast milk. Um, but women in particular uh, carry a fair bit of, of body fat. Uh, they, I think the, even a lean woman still has about 18% body fat by weight. And cannabinoids stick around in that body fat, which is one of the reasons that you can test positive for cannabis, even if you haven't consumed it in several weeks. So just because you're not smoking the day that you conceive does not mean that there are not cannabinoids still in your body and in your system. And as you know, everything that is in your body is also in your unborn child's body that last sentence kind of brings you way back down to earth so you know makes a good point there maybe if you're thinking about getting pregnant stave off the cannabis a little bit even though it might help you conceive a baby and again you know if, if you got pregnant without knowing it's not like the total end of the world these are humans that are still surviving and thriving it's just not like 100% the most perfect situation so exactly and, no and, it's, and I think you bring up a good point that we should reiterate it's not a definitive thing it's not like oh if you smoke when you're pregnant your kid's gonna be fucked it's signs aren't great we as an educational body and extending information just simply have to reiterate what Dr. Andrew is saying maybe not the best idea but hey it's your body it's your life you do you, boo-boo. He, he did admit, or maybe not admit, but he, he mentioned that one of the things that this, this evidence is, is very conclusive. True. And I'm always like, oh, the research isn't there. It's not there. But like in this case, the research is there. Yeah. And it's very real. As heartbreaking as it is that we can't get high when we're pregnant, it just sounds horrible. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But he did say that one of the areas that the research is not quite there and they're working on right now is the actual uh, lactation period, so during breastfeeding. Yeah, I think the the stuff that really hasn't quite gotten out there um, is this, the work that we're doing on um, lactation, the lactation period during breastfeeding. Uh, that's something that uh, sort of arrived as a result of a coffee conversation in within our lab, um, and nobody had really studied it before. So our uh, our research is is actually the first to show that THC is effectively transferred through breast milk and ends up in the brains of of the offspring of babies. Uh, so that is certainly a situation where the research isn't totally there yet. We're sort of just skimming the surface of that. 
Um, however, when it comes to cannabis use during pregnancy, at this point, we're getting down to the nitty gritty details of how things work at a molecular level. In terms of the big picture stuff, uh, we we're pretty confident in the in the findings across the scientific community. I love how a lot of studies, like a lot of great ideas, kind of come out of just cloak or like generalized conversation in this regard. Conversation over coffee. They're now doing studies concerning the breastfeeding period of child's development. So we'll we'll hear more about that when that study is con- concluded. But it'll be interesting to find out, you know, the different stages in human development, what the effect of THC and various cannabinoids actually do have in developmental child biology. Exactly. But very real to hear him say that they are confident in the findings across the scientific community about cannabis and pregnancy. Yep. This is not just some story. This is not somebody like, yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. (laughs) This is not a Reddit feed. This is a real scientific study. Speaking of scientific studies, uh, I don't believe we mentioned Andrew is actually located in France. He is. So we brought up studying cannabis in France. No, it's remarkably difficult to study cannabis regardless of where you are, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, which is one of the reasons you asked earlier um, about how these kind of studies are done. Um, the reason that most studies that you read are done with synthetic cannabinoids is is a purely pragmatic decision. It's logistically, it's very difficult to get approval to do studies with actual cannabis or with actual THC. Um, just to give you a, a little example, um, a colleague of mine who's, who's in Colorado, they wanted to look at this um, debate around the THC to CBD ratios in cannabis and how that affects um, the, the, the effects of cannabis. And the, they were forbidden from giving cannabis to individuals to people because all of our funding as scientists is federally regulated and according to the federal government it's still a schedule one drug so that was step one they said no you cannot give cannabis to people period so then they said okay so could we go to people's homes and take you know blood measurements and let them consume their own cannabis and the federal body still came back and said, no, as soon as you're conducting science in their homes, that becomes a de facto laboratory. And therefore, it's illegal for you to be dealing with the cannabis. So what they finally had to do in the end was they created a van where they could take uh, various measurements and they would park it on the same street as a person's house, then they would ask that person to consume the cannabis of choice and record, you know, what it was and how they consumed it. And then that person had to leave their house, get into this van, and that's where they could take blood pressure and, uh, you know, blood sample measurements, et cetera, et cetera. So this is happening in a state 
where cannabis is recreationally and medically legal, and they still had to jump through hoops like that. And I should say that I'm not uh, an anti-cannabis person by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I, I think for healthy adults, it should be absolutely uh, accessible, whether that be for recreational or for medical purposes. But just like any other recreational drug or any pharmaceutical drug, we need to know what it does and we need to know how it does that. And we need to be informed the same way it says, you know, when you go to the liquor store, we suggest that you do not consume this while you're pregnant. The, the same kind of signage should be there when you go to your, your dispensary. Uh, it's, this is, it's, it's about education in the end. So as we all know, if it's a Schedule 1 narcotic, ain't nobody going to let you do nothing with it. So it's just difficult to have these studies. And until we kind of move to a less regulated situation or a more accessible situation from a legal standpoint, we're just, it's not going to be out there. It's not going to be available to truly deep dive into. And so that's a problem. But if we want research, whether to tell us the bad or good effects, like no matter what, people are going to do whatever the fuck they want for the most part. Pretty much. But if you want to really look at the science, I think legalization is the only way on a federal, if not global, level. So I did ask him, you know, do you think if cannabis was legalized, would research be able to move faster? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, if you look at the situation in Canada, for instance, the labs who are doing similar work to what we do uh, are having a much easier time. For instance, uh, earlier in our discussion, I talked about the development of um, like vapor chambers so that we could do more realistic studies uh, in animal models. That's all happening in Canada and access to actual herbs and actual users of cannabis all of that is much easier in a place like canada where it is federally legal and that remains it's been the biggest problem in the u.s since you know 96 when uh, california legalized medical marijuana it's it's always been the same battle of federal versus state laws. And unfortunately, as researchers, fortunately or unfortunately, all of our funding is coming from or with the approval of the federal government. And so until something changes up top, it doesn't matter how many, how many states legalize, things need to change at a, at a federal level for this to become easier for us as researchers. This reminds me of the old detective show. I think it was Friday. And his classic line was, just the facts, ma'am. You know, <laughs> and, and I think in order to get just the facts, ma'am, we do have to move to a model of legalization. And if nothing else, that should be a reason to move that direction, you know, outside of the social and potential economic impact that legalization might have in our country. Let's focus on the research. Let's get the answers. Let's get just the facts, ma'am. So call your senator, call your congressman. Until we get there, it's it's going to be a slow-moving process. But Canada's moving. Canada is moving. So, 
because they have legalized and whether you are pro-cannabis or anti-cannabis, the absolute safest thing to do for our people, for your children, is to legalize. We can have a regulated system. Mm-hmm. No, well, there'll probably always be a black market, but yeah. you know, not as much. And and we can have the research that says this is bad, this is good. Don't have cannabis when you're pregnant. Maybe it affects you know your fucking brain when you're an adolescent. So you know, if there's really concrete evidence, maybe adolescents will listen to it. Probably not. I wouldn't have. Yeah, we're but drinking still. red wine currently. I know it's bad for me, but I like it. Yeah. So, so anyway. You know, I just think that to be anti-legalization is to be anti-safety. Yeah, and to be anti-science. So I'm anti-science. Which is unfortunate. But anyway. That's all forward, in the future. It's all in the future. Speaking of the future, this is when we get to ask the consistent question, the fun question, the one five and ten year predictions. Ooh, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would say within the next year, we're going to see uh, an increase in states which have legalized, decriminalized, or otherwise reclassified cannabis. I do believe that within five years, uh, Canada will not be the only major nation, the only G8 or whatever you want, however you want to classify uh, nations. Um, to have legal cannabis. Of course, we know that there are other, like Uruguay has legal cannabis, but they're not exactly setting global precedents at the moment. Uh, so my five-year prediction would be that we will see more national level uh, reclassification of cannabis. And I absolutely believe within 10 years that cannabis will be recreationally legal in the United States. Uh, however, I will say as a caveat that I am not convinced that there will remain a medicinal market for cannabis as a plant material in the United States. I believe that we will move towards cannabis-based medications. For instance, you have uh, right now Sativex or Dronabinol. Um, the latter of which is synthetic THC. The former is uh, plant-derived but pharmaceutically pure THC and CBD. I think that the medical market as a whole will move towards uh, cannabinoid-based drugs, and I think that we'll do away with uh, actual plant material because no, no doctor will ever tell you that smoking something or taking a variable plant into your body is really a great medication. So I I think we'll move away from that, but towards recreational uh, full legalization. That's really interesting. I, I love hearing everybody's different perspectives and, and that's fascinating. Yeah, we'll have to check back in in one, five and 10 years. Definitely. Of course, a highly educated individual would give us awesome 1, 5, and 10-year predictions because the way that I look at this is this guy's playing chess and we're all playing checkers because he's looking at all the moving parts and variables and and taking them into account where a lot of times we're just looking at the the macro, you know, where this guy's really diving into the micro. So great 1, 5, and 10s there. Um, 
an important thing that he did mention was to he's accessible feel free to reach out or feel free to reach out to us and we'll reach out to him if you have questions we do want to bridge this gap um, that he calls the gap between bedside and what was it oh bench to bedside bench to bedside so his his he wants to allow people access to the information and i know this this particular episode might seem call it flippy floppy in the sense where we are saying oh the research isn't there but this particular research is there there are good studies out there it's, it's just we have so much to cover and so far to go that we can't just broadly say yes or no on a lot of these topics we're just diving down to the micro so it was very interesting in this particular instance to learn about cannabis and the use during pregnancy as more studies are coming out we will try to get in touch with those people and hear it from the horse's mouth and in this case like exactly but in conclusion for this episode while the research is not there for everything that we talk about the research is there for cannabis and pregnancy yep. we're not at all saying cannabis is bad as a parent once yeah. you're done yeah. breastfeeding like get high be a better parent whatever you need but I would highly suggest, unless you have a condition that really needs some kind of medication, I would highly suggest after talking to Andrew to stay away from cannabis in just about any form while you are pregnant. And that is my conclusion. Have that baby. Second it starts running, spark up a joint. Exactly. So We're just going to use that as the rule of thumb. And if you have a question, if you have a specific condition or anything like that, reach yeah. out to these resources. Andrew is, I got to say, just an absolutely lovely person. I mean, he was not only just obviously very intelligent, but open and ready to answer any question. And he will answer your email. He will answer your call. He will come on your podcast, obviously. Absolutely. And if, and if you want us to ask anybody any questions, we are here as a resource as well. And I think this should be made very, you know, prevalent. I think, I think the access to the information should be easier to get to. And don't feel like you have to be stigmatized about it. If you are genuinely curious, we will keep you completely anonymous if that is so your request. But do feel free to reach out. We want you... To get the answers that you seek which is very much what we're doing we are getting the yes. answers that we seek and sharing them with you so Another reach out if you got questions thing to mention there exactly so if you do have a question that is something you're like well the mary jane experience you know like they're podcasters they'll never know the answer you're probably right <laughs> actually we probably don't know the answer but that's we fine know a few, we but. will if you give us your questions, we will find the professional with an answer. We will interview them and we will give you that answer because that is what we're dedicated here to do. Just like we don't do any paid reviews because we want Correct. pure product reviews. We're here to give you the real information, to dissect scientific articles that are like basically impossible for a normal person to read and turn it into something very digestible, something that anyone can understand. And yeah, whether absolutely. you're a genius or whether you're a younger person just starting to get into any kind of scientific information or any information. Yep, yeah. we're here for you. 
So that's Merry a lot. That was a, that was a heavy, that was a big <laughs> episode. Thank you so much for sticking around with us. It means the world to us, your support. Like, subscribe, share, get the word out. There are resources out there for true unbiased information. We are one of them. If this is something you enjoy, share it with your friends. Yeah. It's Reviews the only way mean to make a lot it out to there. us. Yeah. And or if you need us to review any anything, little bit of support is is really appreciated and also if you need support and you need someone to give back uh we're here to help everybody yeah so. absolutely so that's that this was almost like a psa kind of episode because it it it, <laughs> it came as contrast to a lot of things that we want to believe but because it's it is true real data we wanted to put it out there in the world and it's out there so like it, share it. If you have any questions about this episode, again, specifically or anything else, reach out to us. Hey, we next the... episode announcement. Oh. Ooh, next episode. What do we got going on? Because we actually have a shit ton of sweet episodes coming out that I am very excited about. But Is the... that the, the scientific definition of measurement a shit ton? Yeah, shit is ton that, is, is a, a very volume? scientific term. Is that a volume of length? I bet you mass? Andrew would give us a sound clip to confirm that shit ton is probably used in labs sometimes. <laughs> um, like maybe that. at lunchtime. I don't know. Anyway. But anyways, our next episode is going to be really fun. It's with Gardner Jeff, also known as the world's dirtiest lawyer. He's got He's, some great nicknames, but he is a he professional is a, grower. He's been doing it for a really, a shit ton of time. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, no, he's a he's an incredibly interesting individual. I had the lovely, loveliest time chatting with him. It's just another information dense episode. But if you're interested in growing cannabis, stay tuned next week because this guy goes through all of it, and it was a great conversation. So that's going to be coming out next week. Um, you can reach out to us on our social media channels: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we are on Reddit. Uh, anything else I'm missing probably well you can always and also just email us at info at maryjaneexperience.com you can just go to maryjaneexperience backslash contact I think you still have to put an email in but you can put a burner email in yeah you can put a burner just make a gmail account for three seconds yeah, it's okay we won't yeah. be mad we promise not to out you that's what we're alright let's shut up now thank you so much and peace out potheads good night stoners good night stoners